Good morning, good morning. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade, you can come, if you would like, and sit right up here. Okay? You can bring your Bibles too if you want. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 this morning. You know, sometimes pastors daydream while other pastors are preaching. And last Sunday, as Bill was preaching, it was a great sermon. But at the same time, I was daydreaming a little bit. And I thought, like, we're going to have all the kids in the service next Sunday? How about you guys spread out this way a little bit more? I want you to be able to see the screen also. Some, th some things are going to come up in a little while. And I was thinking, let's have a kid's sermon next Sunday, since all of you are going to be in the service. So thanks for being up here. If there's anybody else that's younger than kindergarten that really wants to be up here, you can, but I would ask that um, a parent sits very close, just in case things go south, all right? Well, how are you guys this morning? Good, good. Did you think you were going to, did you know you were going to be able to do this today? Some, some of you did. Some of your parents read their emails. Some parents didn't. Okay, I get it. I get it. All right. Well, today is the first Sunday of Advent, and that's a very important thing, as Pastor Bill was talking about earlier, because Advent is the season where we wait for Christmas, and it's also a season where we remember to wait for something else. But we'll talk about that a little bit later, all right? I'm going to have some questions for you today. I need you to help me, okay? I need you, this is going to be interactive, so I need you to like speak and talk, and when you talk, to speak loudly enough that the adults out there that are sometimes hard of hearing can hear you. All right. It's going to be a little bit of a challenge because you also have masks on. So maybe go ahead and raise your hand and then I'll call on you and then you can speak loudly while everybody else listens. Yes, Phoebe, a question already? No, you can just speak loudly through your mask. Yeah. All right. So here's my first question. Who has a birthday here? Does that feel like a trick question? Everyone has a birthday, correct? Everyone has a birthday because we were all born, all right? The thing about birthdays is that as great as they are, after they pass, you got to wait 364 days for the next one. That day after your birthday, you're like, my birthday feels so close, yet so far away. All right? Doesn't, is, is that how you guys feel? Maybe it's just me. You do. Okay, we're, we're kind of related, so maybe that's why. Well, like I said before, today is the first Sunday of Advent, and Advent is a time of waiting. It's waiting for Christmas. What a great day, right? Are you all looking forward to Christmas? Who's, who's made their Christmas list? I know a few of you have. So-so. It's in, it's in process. You're developing it. Okay. All right. You have, you have less. So you did like the Amazon link and everything. Yes. Jackie, Jackson didn't want to write it. He just wants to show it to you. All right. Okay. Well, Christmas is kind of like birthdays because we look forward to it and then it happens and you got to wait a whole other year for it to happen again, yeah. right? But your birthday's after Christmas. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Let's think about this for a little bit. 
waiting for a birthday or waiting for Christmas, that's one thing, right? We all look forward to days. But waiting for someone that you love to arrive where you are is something very different. Let's think about this. As you got ready for your first birthday, who was waiting for you? Your parents were waiting for you. And probably a lot of other people, but most especially your parents. And then maybe other siblings that you had that were older than you. Yeah, Margaret. Yes, that's another thing that we get reminded around the holidays too, is that sometimes we host people and we're waiting for their arrival. Maybe we haven't seen them in a long, long time. And we're waiting, we're anticipating when they're finally going to get here. When um, Natalie's parents, Nan and Pop, when they're coming, it's about an eight-hour drive from Kansas City. And Phoebe asks a lot on that day, when are they going to get here? Can we FaceTime them? Can we track their phones? How can we know when they're going to get here? Because she's looking forward to their arrival. Well, on this Sunday and then every Sunday all the way through the day after Christmas, December 26th, we're going to be looking at stories from the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke in the New Testament, chapters 1 and 2. So if you haven't turned there already, you can. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can look on with somebody else, or you can just listen really well. All of these stories have a little bit to do with waiting. Everybody find it? Waiting is hard, especially when we're waiting for people. And you might think, yeah, that's exactly how it happens in my house. i got to wait when the bathroom's full. i got to wait for time to grow up. i got to wait for, wait for, wait for, wait for the food to get passed around the table. But I want to think about waiting when it comes to, like Margaret said, someone you really love and you're waiting for them to arrive. Because, hear this, waiting for someone to arrive is a wonderful way to show love. Waiting for someone to arrive is a wonderful way to show love. Did you find Luke? Yeah. All right. Let me read the very first part of it because it's an introduction to the book. Look at it in verse 1. Luke, who was a friend of Paul, wrote this. He was a doctor too. He said, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. That's a lot of big words, I know. I'll summarize it in a minute. Just keep looking at it. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So here's Dr. Luke, a friend of Paul's. Luke probably never saw Jesus face to face on earth. Okay, But he knew Paul really well, and we know that Paul saw Jesus face-to-face on the road to Damascus, right? Pretty incredible um, face-to-face meeting. And Luke was a medical doctor who was also kind of a historian. And he had this friend, Theophilus. Theophilus was probably a pretty important guy, might have been rich, might have been powerful, might have been even part of the Roman government. And Theophilus like his name tells us, was a lover of God. That's what Theophilus means. 
And so Luke was writing to Theophilus saying, hey, brother, I know that you love Jesus. I want to set out this whole history of Jesus' life so that you can know for sure everything you've heard about him is true. Okay? So this is a history letter. And as we read through it over the next few weeks, you're going to hear stuff that sounds like history. Well, guess what? God works in history. So as we read this history, we can also learn about God. Because God works in hours and days and years and centuries and millennia. This is how God does his thing in the world. He works in time. But here's the thing. We also wait don't we? We wait in hours and days and months and years and sometimes centuries if you live long enough. All right. We wait too. So here's the title for our talk this morning. Waiting for just the right time. Can you repeat that? Waiting for just the right time. I want you to feel waiting today. Okay. Let me pray. And then I need your help to preach the rest of the sermon. Okay. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we pray that you would help us today, that your spirit would speak to our hearts through your word. We want to know that you are true, that you are dependable, that you are good. So please teach us today. We thank you that you're here with us. Amen. All right. So today's waiting story is about a grandpa and a grandma. Well, not quite. See, these two people were married. And they were old enough to be a grandpa and a grandma. But the thing is, before you can be a grandpa and a grandma, you have to what? Have a child. Have a child. And they didn't have any children. Their names were Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Zechariah and Elizabeth would have loved some grandkids to celebrate Hanukkah with. The problem was they had been waiting and waiting for a child, and they had never had one. Now, some of you are probably thinking, I know this story. I've read this story. I've heard this story. That's great. A lot of the Christmas stories that we hear, a lot of the Christmas, the Christmas story that we hear in its different parts often becomes very familiar. We're like, oh, yeah, I know this about the angels and the shepherds and the wise guys and all this. I already know this. I've already heard it. Well, here's what I want you to think about. When you come to a familiar story in the Bible, Ask this question. What does God do in this story? Because the whole Bible is really not our story. It's God's story. And sometimes when you think about that simple question, what does God do in this story? It'll all of a sudden become fresh to you because you're seeing it from, you're looking to see from God's perspective. There's a second question too that we're going to answer a little bit later. Not only what does God do, but why does God do it? So I need your help. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to read a few short sections in a row from the story, starting in verse five. And then I'm going to ask you the simple question, what does God do? What did God do in that short section? Yeah. No, no, it will not be as complicated as the last one. You're talking about verses 1 through 4, right? Yeah, yeah. Good question, Jacob. Good question. Although this first one might be kind of complicated. you got to listen well, 
or read really well. Verses 5 through 7 go like this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Hmm. What did God do in those verses? Yeah. Not yet. How about in these verses? I can tell you know the story, but not quite yet. In these verses, what did God do? Did you hear God's name in there? His name actually wasn't in there. Yeah, Jack. He did everything, well, that's, that's a great answer. Yes, he does about everything. Yes, and he did everything there. But what did he do in these verses? Think about this. Zechariah and Elizabeth, it calls them righteous. That means that they were, they were good in God's eyes. God accepted them. Okay, If you remember way back in the Old Testament, Abraham believed God, and it was credited, credited, credited to him as righteousness. Okay, Abraham was good in God's sight because God made him good in his sight. So what did God do? He made Elizabeth and Zechariah good in his sight. They weren't just doing good stuff. They were good at the heart. Okay? So that was one thing that God did. Another thing God did is God didn't let Elizabeth get pregnant. And that sounds like, ouch, that, that's kind of a hard thing for God to do. But there's a word called providence. Do you know what providence means? Providence means that God is working in all the little details of our lives for his plan to come about. And God in his providence kept Elizabeth from getting pregnant. Okay? Let's go on to the next section. Verse 8. Now while he was serving, this is Zechariah, he was a priest before God. So he went to Jerusalem. That's not where he lived, but he went to Jerusalem. When his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So in Jerusalem, there was this huge temple, and the priests that lived all around Israel would get chosen by random to come to the temple in Jerusalem and to burn incense, okay? To burn incense, which represented the prayers of the people to God. So he went to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. There was a big crowd outside. And there appeared to Zechariah an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. What did God do? He put the angel, he put the angel there. The angel was there. Anything else? He made Zechariah's turn. Okay, do you ever pick names out of a hat? All right, that's like to be something at random, right? That's kind of what happened with Zechariah. But all the priests in all of Israel had their names in the hat. So whoever stuck their hand in the hat, God made him pull out Zechariah's name just at the right time. Very good. 
God was providentially working in all of this story. Any other thing that you see here that God did? There was a group of people outside. What were they doing? Praying. They were praying. Okay. Do people pray just to pray? Not typically. It's because God produces people to pray. He prepares people to pray. And they draw near to Him and talk with Him. So Zechariah is inside to burn incense. His name got picked out of the hat. The people are outside praying as the incense is going up in the air. And then all of a sudden, an angel appears who God sent. Let's go to verse 12. And Zechariah was troubled. <laughs> he was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon him. Would you be afraid if you saw an angel? 100% yes, you would be. Because every single person in the Bible who sees an angel is super duper afraid. I know you're brave, Chloe. I know you're brave, but you would have been afraid. Yeah, Phoebe. Like, uh, like they look different from normal. Definitely, because they're not people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they bring the glory of God with them. Okay, awesome. So Zechariah was troubled. He was afraid. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer, i got to turn my page, has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. And you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be called he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the people, for the Lord, a people prepared. I just read a lot. What did God do in these verses? The angel shows up. What does the angel do? He tells Zachariah he's going to have a kid. He speaks that he's going to have a kid. What else did the angel say? Phoebe. Okay, he's gonna, he's God's gonna use him to turn people's hearts around. Yeah, Jacob. He also said that he was not to drink wine okay. or strong drinks. Okay, all right. He couldn't just live any way he wanted. He needed to not drink that stuff. Did you see the reason why? Because he was gonna be full of the spirit. Okay, all right, Micah. Check that out. He was going to be inside his mom, and the Holy Spirit was already going to be living inside of him. That's wild. Um, that he would be a son. That he would be a son of Zechariah and Elizabeth? Not just a son in general, not a daughter. His sons would stay in the family. Daughters would marry out. So he would stay in the family. Okay, yeah. So he would he would kind of continue on with Zechariah and Elizabeth in some way. He would carry on their name. All right, great, great. Anything else that you see? Micah? He also said that they were to name him John. They were going to, yes, the angel said, you got to name him John. Very good. Here's the thing. God also did one other thing. He said, the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been, what? Heard. Your prayer has been heard. Do you ever wonder sometimes if God hears your prayers or not? The fact is, He does. 
He hears our prayers. Just like you're hearing my words right now and I hear yours speaking back to me, God hears our prayers. And he heard Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer for a son. And then he gives them these incredible promises. Promises that are almost seem a little bit too hard to believe. Hmm. Let's look at verses 18 through 23. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple, what's taking him so long? And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when the time of service was ended, Zechariah went to his home. What did God do in those verses? Who hasn't answered yet? Jacob, you haven't really answered yet. What did God do in those verses? What, did, what happened to Zechariah? Not quite blind. He couldn't speak. God made him mute. Hmm. So, so far we've talked about a lot of things like, why, what did God do? But I haven't asked you the question, why does God do it? And I'm not, I'm, I'm not asking about God making Zechariah mute yet. We'll talk about that in a minute. But this whole story so far, from his name getting picked out of a hat, to the angel appearing, to the angel making these incredible promises, why is God doing this? Jeanette? Because he loves us, yes, true. Any other reasons? Chloe, did you want to try one? No? Jeanette took your answer. Phoebe? Because he did not um, believe his words. Well, so I'm not talking about the mute thing yet. We'll talk about that in a minute, why he couldn't speak. Margaret? To make the way for Jesus. All right, Jacob? To bring glory to God. Let's put those two things together. Yes, bringing glory to God, making a way for Jesus. I'm going to tell it to you like this. He is unfolding his plan. He's saying things are going to start to change. Now, you might say, but how do we know that that's what's happening? Because of this. Because of this. Who knows the books of the Bible? In the Old Testament, specifically. You know what the last book of the Old Testament is? Malachi. Malachi. Very good. Malachi means messenger. Okay? And the thing was, Malachi was a prophet, and he was speaking the words of God to the people. But the people would not listen. The people were content. We're talking about the the people of Israel they were content not to listen to the prophets. Because what, guess what the prophets often did? They often said, listen, you people are sinners, 
And you need to be saved. Turn away from your sin so that God can save you. Is that a popular message? No, not usually. But that's what the prophets said over and over again. Man after man after man, they were constantly saying, you are sinners, turn away from your sin and turn to God and be saved. Well, that's what Malachi was doing too. But the people had stopped up their ears. We don't want to hear it, Malachi. We don't want to hear it. So Malachi is a very short book. Only four chapters. When Malachi ends, guess what God does? God goes mute. God doesn't speak to the people of Israel for not 100 years, not 200 years, not 300 years, but 400 years God did not speak to His people. What happened 400 years ago in America? Do you know? Yes, close. 401 years ago, the pilgrims set foot at Plymouth, Massachusetts. Do you typically feel like our day today is very much like their day back then, 401 years ago? No. 400 years is a long time. During that long time, the people of Israel have been waiting for God to speak. And He stayed silent. Hour after hour, day after day, month after month, year after year, century after century. They were thirsty to hear the words of the Lord, but they could not find Him and they could not hear Him. So, did God start to speak? Yeah, He started to speak. He started to speak in the story that we're hearing today. Simeon read a little bit from Malachi during the Scripture reading earlier, and I'm going to see if we can get the first thing up there. I want you to hear this. When God, when God is unfolding his plan, he always does it in two ways that are always like this. He always keeps his promises and he always prepares his people. He always keeps his promises and we find his promises here and he always prepares his people. Look at Malachi 3.1. You can just look at it up here. I think that's the one that should be up there. It is. Thank you, Herbert. Chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Does this sound familiar? Later on, a guy named John the Baptist, who, guess what? He's Zechariah and Elizabeth's son. Later on in Matthew, would talk about him being the fulfillment of this. I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Yeah, Jacob. Okay, good. Thanks. God keeps his promises. God promised that he was going to send a messenger ahead of the Lord himself. 
Remember, to wait for someone is a wonderful way to love them. And by waiting, it means that you trust them. You trust that they will actually arrive, that what they said will actually happen. That's what we do when we wait for someone to arrive. Zechariah and Elizabeth, like Abraham that I mentioned earlier, their faith was counted as righteousness, not just because they were going to the temple and they were burning incense and all that sort of thing. They were waiting specifically for God's promised messenger to come and the Lord that would come after that messenger. Just a minute, Micah. God keeps his promises. How else does God unfold his plan? He keeps his promises and he prepares a people. Let's look at Malachi 3, 16 through 18. Sorry, it's Zoe. Zoe, you're doing a great job back there. <laughs> Herbert's on the sound. Verse 16, Malachi 3. Then those who feared the Lord, they spoke with one another. And the Lord paid attention and he heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. The reason I say this is because you guys are pretty smart. You know that all the Old Testament is talking about the people of Israel. And they were God's chosen people. The thing is, not all of God's chosen people actually had faith in God. Some of them had faith in their own sin, or faith in their own idols, or faith in their own talents, or faith in their own religiousness. But here, Malachi is saying there's going to be a distinction, like a division between those who actually serve the Lord and the wicked ones who don't. That's important to hear. We need to be considering, do we actually know God or do we not? This is what's called a remnant. And it talks about it a lot in the Old Testament. A remnant, kind of, um, if your mom is like making some soup, the remnant would be the leftover. Okay. There would be this leftover group of people that were faithful to the Lord because God had made them righteous. Let's look at the next passage in Malachi, verses 4 through 6. Remember, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Hold on. Listen close. Because you've heard these words before. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Where have you heard those words before? Yes. Thank you, Margaret. Where else have you heard those? An angel. Thank you, Chloe. The angel just told Zechariah these words. 
I want you to, I, I want you to like try to get your head around this a little bit. God went silent for 400 years. He had said something through Malachi at the beginning of those 400 years, 400 year gap. And when God sends his angel to speak his word again, it's like God opening his mouth, sending the messenger. What does God say? The very thing he had said 400 years ago. That was still on God's mind, and God always keeps his promises. What did the angel say Zechariah's son John would do? He would prepare a people for the Lord. God always unfolds his plan by keeping his promises and preparing a people. Micah, did you have a question? <laughs> yes, he was. We'll get to that in the next two or three weeks. Jake and Joey are preaching from those stories. Yeah. All right. So here's the thing. God keeps his promises. God prepares his people. He always has a remnant of people that are trusting him. And they have hearts of repentance. They don't want their sin. They want God. And the Holy Spirit does that in those people to trust God. And we see the Holy Spirit talked about here twice. That He would fill John. He would fill, sorry, just once. He, that He would fill John. But let's get back to this mute thing. To finish up, let's get back to this mute thing. Why did God make Zechariah mute? He wasn't listening very well to the angel. Good, Kate. Elias? He didn't believe that he was going to have a child. He didn't believe that he was going to have a child. Let's, let's think about that for a minute. Why didn't he believe it? Because they hadn't had, had a child for a long time. And they were old. So he's like, um, I'm an old man, and my wife is also old. Hmm. Has God done that in old people before? Yeah. Abraham and Sarah back in Genesis. You're right. But let's think about what else Zechariah is thinking about. I'm sure that he's amazed that he was just promised a son. But what kind of son was he promised? Do you think Zechariah knew Malachi? Definitely. They would memorize large portions of of the Old Testament. Zechariah definitely knew Malachi, and Zechariah definitely knew that God had been silent for 400 years. So for him, this was hard to believe. Not just that he was going to have a son in his old age, but that his son was going to be great before the Lord, be filled with the Holy Spirit even in his mother's womb, that he would be used to turn the children of Israel to the Lord their God, that he would remake things, or the Lord would use him to remake things, so that the people of Israel would be turned and begin to fear the Lord? This is huge! You can feel he was probably trembling, not just because the angel was there, but maybe he felt like this was too big for him. How can I believe that something like this would happen through me and my wife? So he asks this question, how shall I know this? See, he was looking for an extra sign from God. He was, he was saying, God, if this is really going to be true, can you show me 
how I know this is going to be true. And what does Gabriel say? He's like, um, I'm Gabriel, and I stand in the courtroom of God. He gave me this message to bring to you. We're going to talk about when Gabriel talks to Mary later on. Gabriel says, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, how can this be? Because I'm not married yet. That's not the same kind of question that Zechariah asks. Mary asks, how? Zechariah asks a question basically saying, I don't really believe you. I don't believe God's word is coming through you, Gabriel. And Gabriel says, I'm the sign, bro. I'm right here. Believe that God's message is coming through me. I am the sign. Believe God. He always keeps his promises. Even when you don't know how he's going to keep his promises. So God disciplines Zechariah. God disciplines him like your parents probably discipline you. My parents disciplined me. And they do it for our good. And God disciplines Zechariah. Zechariah was righteous. He belonged to God. But God wanted Zechariah in his heart of hearts to believe that God always keeps his promises. So he said, kind of like the the song we sang uh, earlier, be still, be still. God stilled Zechariah's tongue. And he said, until your son is born, you're not going to speak. You're just going to remember that what I say always comes true. See, sometimes waiting can lead us to doubt God's promises. To doubt God. Because when we doubt what he says, we're actually doubting him. So a good question for us to ask is, when we're waiting on God, how does he want us to wait? And I'll tell you this. He wants us to wait for him while we wait with him. He wants us to wait for him while we wait with him. And you might say, well, how do we wait with God? Well, everyone that knows Christ has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And so we wait with God and we, we do like the people did here. We trust his word. We pray. We say, God, I need to believe. I want to believe. Help me when I don't believe. Help me to trust you. Let me just run you through two quick promises to finish us up. The first promise is this. See if you believe this promise. It's from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. It says this. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. Born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That means to buy them back. They were slaves to the law. Jesus came to buy them back. But look at what it says then next. It's right up here on the screen. So that we might receive adoption as sons. See, here's the thing. God's plan is not just to forgive our sins, as great as that is. Hello? It is to adopt all those who trust him and his promises into his family. 
He turns the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers. He remakes His family by adopting us in. And then what does He give us? Who sees the promise? What, is the, what does He then give us after He adopts us? You see that up there? Eternal life, yes. He gives us the Spirit of His Son. So the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of people. As incredible as it is that John had the Holy Spirit even before he was born, it is just as incredible that God through the Spirit can come in and fill boys and girls and men and women, grandmas and grandpas, and live inside of us and give us faith in Christ. So that's one promise. Will we believe it? Will we trust Jesus that He can actually give us His Spirit and adopt us into His family? There's one more part that we didn't read yet. Can you look at verse 24? After these days, His wife, Elizabeth, conceived. That means she got pregnant. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from among the people. What does Elizabeth say that God did? He kept his promise. He kept his promise. Hmm? She was able to conceive. And she says this, he looked on me. See, sometimes we can talk about the big plans of God that are so important. And they are. But we can forget that God looks on us as we wait. He looks on our situations. He looks on our hearts. He looks at our families. He looks at our needs. He knows all of these things. And He looks at us and He loves us. And so we wait for a person to arrive. In the story, yes, they were waiting for John. Zechariah and Elizabeth were. We'll find out that Mary and Joseph started to wait for Jesus. As the, Israel, as the Hebrew people have been waiting for 400 years for a Messiah. But even us, we're waiting for Jesus to come back someday. You might even say that we are pregnant, wink, wink, with expectation. We are full of waiting. Full of waiting for Jesus to come back someday. And you might say, I don't know how that's going to happen. That's a Mary question. That's okay. But let's still trust that it will happen because just as God always keeps His promises, He will keep that promise too. And let's look at this last verse before I finish this up with prayer. 2 Timothy 4.8 says this, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Remember, God makes us righteous through Jesus' death for us. There is laid up for me this reward, this crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to what? To who? Can you, can you read it loudly? Just read it together. All who have loved His appearing. Waiting for someone to arrive is a wonderful way to love them. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that You would come soon. And we ask that You would fill our hearts with a love for You. 
that would wait, that we would keep the lamp in our, in our lamps burning bright, that we would be about your business and about your mission, that we would be about you as we wait for you to come back. 2,000 years is a long time, but still we wait. Fill our hearts with that longing, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.